Hey, Forge family. The providence of God is clearly seen in the grotty details of chapter 38 of Genesis. That was last week's podcast, podcast number three of the, of the Joseph story, where God wants Judah back from his sojourn with the Canaanites. In fact, he wants that whole family back. You know, the whole family of Jacob and his sons is, is, a, is a spiritual mess. So in episode three last week, we saw God at work. And he's, he's setting the stage for the rescue and the repentance of Judah, who had left his brothers to live with a Canaanite wife. Now, mind you, God did not set up Ur and Onan to fail. But when they did, God steps in to protect the seed that will be passed through the line of Judah. God Almighty, thank you that you are the redeeming God who takes our sin and washes it clean and then transforms us. You did not will our sin, but you come to rescue and refocus us on the kingdom way to walk and to live. We are so grateful, Lord. Thank you. Amen. All right, let's read Genesis 39, 1 to 6, as we start podcast number 4 here. Text says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he, that's Potiphar, made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in the charge of Joseph. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him, there did not he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay, family. Uh, this this um, The way that this chapter starts, it really runs out of the end of chapter 38. Excuse me, 37, where, where um, Joseph is sold by his brothers to Ishmaelite traders. And here, Joseph is bought by this Egyptian officer named Potiphar. And he's described as the as an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard. Now, perhaps, okay, his his um, responsibilities extended as far as being Lord High Executioner. He wasn't just, you know, someone who put pretty boys in uniforms around um, the Pharaoh to protect his life, or put seasoned uh, fighters in the in the cadre around. Pharaoh when he traveled. Instead, he may have been um, a head of the Secret Service as well. 
So somehow, once Joseph is purchased, then he's interviewed. He isn't just randomly placed. The civilization was highly skilled at using slaves. And so they would have asked Joseph very directly, what are you good at? Okay, And he obviously didn't answer the question that he was a little shepherd boy. Because he didn't do that. He was the overseer. Remember the many-parted coat? Where he oversaw all his father's financial affairs. And he shepherded his brothers. He knew about the livestock and he knew about the lives of his brothers. He was the one who Jacob had put in charge. Now, Jacob was like a, a movable nomad kingdom. He was immensely wealthy and had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of servants and, and uh, flocks and herds. And so Joseph grew up learning how to manage that group of people. So when he's interviewed, his response may have been something like, well, I was the steward over all of my father's household, unquote. We don't know that, but it makes sense because then it says the Lord, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph became a successful man in the house of his master, Potiphar. So he was not put to work in the fields. Okay? They were willing to take his statement that he was a manager and they put him to work in the house. And in the house, Potiphar sees that everything that Joseph touches is blessed. And somehow, like that's a capital S, capital S on that somehow, somehow, he saw that it was from the Lord. It was from God. So certainly how Joseph lived was an exemplary life, radically different from the idolatry and immorality of the, of the Egyptians. But also, he probably verbalized the fact that, man, I, I love working here because the Lord is all over this house. Joseph could see it and he could communicate that to his boss. Now in verses 4 and 5, it says, All he touched was blessed in the house and in the field because of his stewardship, his management, and his oversight that he had shown in front of Potiphar. And finally, Potiphar says, you're, gonna, you're the man. You're my personal servant. You're my steward. You take care of everything here except my little tiny personal affairs. Text talks about it as the food that he ate, but that's a bit of a metaphor that, you know, it's, it's the little micro details of his life that Jacob stepped back from because obviously this is a very successful and placed man in Pharaoh's court. In verse 8, okay, excuse me, verse 7, uh, I'm jumping, sorry, let's read further. Chapter 39, beginning in, in the, the back half again of, of verse 6, it says, uh, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And then in verse 7, I'm going to read all the way through to verse 18 here. It says, And it came about after these events that his master's wife, and she remains unnamed throughout this account, okay, doesn't even have a memorial in scripture of a name. Okay, the master's wife looked with desire. You know, literally she lifted up her eyes and that, that is evidence of lust. Okay, you know, in, the, in terms of how it's put together. And she said, lie with me. 
But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in the house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against God? And it came about as she spoke to, day, to, to Joseph day after day that he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he he left his garment in her hand and fled. He shucked out of that garment and got out of that house and went outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he who brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us, he came in to, to me to lie with me, and I screamed. And it came about that when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left this, his garment beside her until Potiphar, his master, came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave which you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. And it happened that I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me and fled outside. All right, family. Very quickly, oh, this is another one of these uh, see-me things in Scripture. But, but I want you to see what's here. Okay, this, the, where Potiphar's wife catches, uh, he takes note of the fact that this young man is, has risen from being a slave to being a steward. From being a, just a house servant to someone who's in charge. That makes him attractive to her. And she uses... You know, in English, it's three words. In Hebrew, it's two. It just, it's, it's a description of, of brute lust. And uh, it's never descriptive. It's never used as a descriptor of marital sex, marital relations at all. Number one, Joseph refuses. But he uses logic. He says, all of this whole house is in charge. And master, trust me with everything except you. Okay. And how can I do this great evil and sin against God? So he, he puts God's name right into that at the front end. Now, he could just as well have said, and not sin against Potiphar, against your husband. All right? But that, didn't, that obviously didn't matter to the wife whatsoever. So he raised, he saw her, and he raised her. Okay? He put the trump card on the table and said, the Lord's name is at stake here. And then verse 10, it says, day after day, she used those same two words. And he got to the point where he avoided her and he kept denying her. Verse 12, okay, when they're suddenly, whether, whether accidentally or whether by design, we don't know, he's alone in that house and there are no witnesses and she's there with him. Okay, she seizes him. Okay. It says, lie with me. Same two words, same two words. And he gets out of Dodge. He flees. Okay, then she goes, starting verse 13 to 18, she fabricates witnesses. 
She calls the man in. She uses the, the racial term, oh, this Hebrew slave that was bought and brought in, and he's making sport of all of us. Okay? Finally, you know, she's able to present all this evidence to her husband when he gets home in verse 18. All right, let's read from verse 19 to 20. It says, Now it came about when his master, Potiphar, heard the words of his wife, that when she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, that his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. So here's Joseph. He's gone from being the prince, if you will, in Jacob's camp to being a slave sold into, into Egypt and being raised to the penthouse, if you will, raised to all authority over the lands and estates and possessions of Potiphar except for his wife. Does that sound a bit like the Garden of Eden? You can have all of this except for this one piece of fruit on this one tree. You can have all of this, but not my wife. Sound familiar? Now, the text in verse 19 says, Potiphar hears her and his anger burns. But his anger is undirected in the text. It's just, it's unspecified. But he, part of his action is, he takes Joseph and he places him in the jail where the king's prisoners were confined. So, Forge family, um, in, in the ancient Near East, they didn't have separate jail facilities. That, that only rose up in Europe and hundreds and hundreds of years later perhaps thousands of years later, okay? But in the ancient Near East, prisoners were kept in the subfloor levels of palaces and officers' housing, okay? So in this case, let's look at chapter 40, just down a couple of verses, chapter 40, verse 3, it says, so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, that's Potiphar, in the jail, which is in the house, in the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And then look at verse 7. It says, And he asked Pharaoh's official who were there with him in the confinement in his master's house. This is Joseph speaking. And he's in Potiphar's house. Why are your faces so sad today? Okay, so this there really isn't um, a chapter break here. Okay? There isn't a renumbering of the verses. The story continues. Okay, and what has happened here is Joseph has been removed from the upper house and he's incarcerated in the jail probably under Potiphar's house. Now, Forge family, please recognize that an attempted rape is a cap was a capital crime. If had he had relations with Potiphar's wife, that would have been adultery. Okay, and, and that's punishable by death. Likewise, attempted adultery, attempted rape, if you will, um, was punishable by death. 
And in, in the ancient world, there, there were basically three categories of punishment. There was death, there was huge fines that were levied in lieu of death. You could live, but you'd be a pauper sort of thing. Or thirdly, dismemberment. Remember, the thief, well, he has his hand lopped off, okay? The liar has his tongue cut out, etc. Okay, so there's, 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 um, there's evil things that could have been done to Joseph. But instead, he is removed from the upper house and placed in the jail, okay? Now, in that jail, there are those that are serving terms, in this case, Joseph is, is in an indeterminate jail term. You know, it seems to go on, and it goes on for years, okay? Also, in that jail would have been those awaiting judgment. Their case hasn't come up. They've been placed in incarcer in incarcerated in, in this jail until Pharaoh gets around to them. Okay? And also, the third category would have been those who were awaiting execution. So that none of those penalties fell on Joseph leads me to believe that Potiphar did not believe his wife. That Potiphar had interviewed his slaves those that served Joseph in the house. And they were the ones who said, day by day by day, your wife stalked Joseph. All right, Ford family, zoom out. Get away from that. Get above it, okay? The reality is everything that Joseph touches turns to gold, okay? That makes him a target. How about you guys? Have you ever been in a situation where everything you did worked? And there was envy, and there was jealousy, and you became a marked person because of your excellence. All right? Now, Joseph knows that God's name is at stake. Now, and, and perhaps he prayed a prayer something like this. I mean, it's been speculated, postulated, and it's humorous. It says, oh, Lord, keep that woman away from me. And the Lord answered and put him behind bars in jail where the woman couldn't get to him. So when we pray and say, Oh God, relieve me from this. Take this temptation away. Protect me over here. We don't know how he's going to answer. And the answer may come as a shock to us. But then he is going to be the one to equip us for what comes next. You know, you say, oh God, you know, protect me. And all of a sudden you're fired. You're outside the company. What does that mean? You're going to prosper someplace else. You're going to take what you know and you're going to build on it and make it better. Okay? The Lord is with you. Okay? Now, part of the lessons here have to do with the, how to deal with sexual temptation. Okay? And, and so that, you know, the first thing that Joseph did was use logic, and the second was just to dodge and duck and avoid and, and, and stay away from that woman. And thirdly, he had to flee. He had to just, it was over. He couldn't dance anymore, and he dropped the cloak and ran. Now, that cloak thing, you remember? His brothers recognized him coming toward them in Dothan, wearing the overseer's coat. 
the coat of many parts. They could see him coming at a distance, and the first thing they did when they pounced on him to kill him was to strip off that coat. What happens here with this, with this woman that wants his body? Okay? The coat gets stripped off of him, and he flees. See, the Lord, the Lord is chuckling in the background, okay? Because in both cases, he's in a dry pit and then he's sold into slavery, and or he flees this woman and leaves his cloak on the ground beside it, okay? God is getting what he wants out of this. God is moving the story forward. Now, I, I, have, a, uh, I have a story to tell you. That comes from uh, about 1973, early, early winter, early 1973. I was an intern at Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, in the middle of the Jesus movement. And uh, Dr. Ray Stebbin was the senior pastor. And, and one day he, he approached uh, me and my roommate, David, and said, uh, I want you both to come to Dallas, Texas, and get there. Some, however you get there, you stay in my room in the hotel. I want you to come with me. I want to travel with you. I want you to be part of the ministry team. Wow, what an opportunity. What an amazing thing. And so I had to, I had to look and see if I could afford it because I had to buy flights and cover meals and, and, and stuff. But the hotel was covered. So I managed to do that and um, got on a red-eye flight from SFO down to Dallas. And we landed uh, you know, early in the morning and got breakfast. And mid, late mid-morning, late morning, we met Ray in the hotel. And, and we sat in that lobby of that hotel for hours as... The, the high and the mighty and the published and the beautiful uh, of the evangelical world who were noting the Jesus movement was beginning to shift the culture. You know, they, they had come by to shake Ray's hand and greet him in that lobby. And, and David and I were just amazed at, at Ray's graciousness and his humble um, responses to these men. And, and, and we noted that there was one man who was a pastor. He was an author, noted speaker. And uh, he had come and sort of privately sort of said, gosh, I would really like to get some time with you. I've got something I need to talk about. And um, Ray said, well, I'm staying here in this hotel. And, and this is Dick and this is David. And uh, they're in my room. would be okay if all three of us met with you. And he sort of, his pastor sort of blinked and said, no, that's fine. That, that will work fine. And... Um, I, he thought he could be there, you know, like 9.30, 10 o'clock after his meetings were done. And he came to the hotel, and we sort of crowded into the room, and, and uh, we laughed a lot, you know, initially. And then he got to, he got to the point of why, why he was there to talk to Ray. And he said, you know, I was on this flight, on this, on this plane, and, um, and, and the stewardess recognized me. And uh, she had a copy of my book, my first book, and she wanted me to autograph it. And then we talked about the book, and then we talked about the gospel, and then we ended up talking about a little about family. And she she had just been divorced, and and uh, and I, uh, you know, I was not in a good place. I'm not in a good place with my wife, and it's it's just hard right now. We're working on it, but um, you know, then things got real busy on the flight, and um, uh, the, we we had to buckle in and get ready to land. Well, you know, I was sitting. This man said, "I'm sitting all the way in the back of the flight." And the stewardess came and stood right beside me by the row and waited till everybody else got off the flight. And they're standing in the back of this aircraft alone. And she said, 
I want you to come home with me. And, and this man turned to Ray and to myself and to David, and, and he said, I knew exactly what that invitation meant. And he said, I wasn't happy about going home to my wife, but I knew what that invitation meant. And I, so I, I tried to graciously and quickly say, thank you, but no thank you, and gathered my stuff and got off that plane and went home. But he said, that stayed with me, and I just need brothers to pray over me. And so Ray started, and David and I picked up uh, chunks of scripture that, that really had jumped into our hearts as he told his story, and we prayed over him. And he, he, there were some tears, and then he slipped out of the hotel room uh, with a big smile on his face. Uh, it was late. Now it's, now it's late. Ray had an early uh, pastor's breakfast to get to. And uh, so we, you know, he, there are two twin beds and a height of bed in this room. And I got the height of bed. So I'm, I'm jammed over against the wall. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm, uh, you know, we, we pray and we go to sleep and we, we lay ourselves up to go to sleep. And, I, you know, there's this flashing light through the, through the blinds and it's the flickering fluorescent on the front of the hotel sign. I'm not, I'm not going to sleep real quick. And uh, maybe half an hour passes. And it's quiet. And then Ray sits bolt upright in bed and claps his hands and says, no woman ever asked me to go home with her. While David is roaring with laughter, falls on the floor. I, I, if I know if I move, uh, my hide bed is going to fold up and trap me. I'm just going to be sandwiched in this hide bed So I just, I have to lay flat and, and laugh. And, you know, we got the lights on and we rearranged the room and we prayed for each other. Uh, because um, uh, the point is we are men and we're all thinking about that story. And so, you know, Ray was the one who led us through that sense of, thank you, Lord, for taking care of us, even when we're solicited. Um, and then, you know, we were able to kind of wrap that up and, and get to bed for the, you know, because the next day was really busy. All right, all right, Forge, end of story. Zoom back in, okay? Come back down on the Joseph account. Joseph is jailed for an indeterminate time, but he's alive and he's well. See, earlier in the, in the passage, chapter 39, four separate times, Yahweh's name is used. The name of God, the personal name of God. Four times it says the Lord was with him. Well, wait a minute, he's in prison. What now? You know, well, family, the venue has changed. The Lord did not. The circumstances have changed. The Lord did not. So what I want you to do is, I want you to say that phrase. And however you want to craft it, that's fine. Okay, but three times, say it out loud to yourself. The venue changed, the Lord did not. The circumstances changed, the Lord did not. You know, you say it three times, okay? And then you ask God to anchor that statement, that truth, to your soul. Because in your life, you will have circumstances that change. And you'll go, God, what happened? Where did you go? How could this be? You know, I was things were so good and now they're so seemingly so bad. Where is he? He did not change. He is with you as he was 
with Joseph. All right, Forge family, let's pray. Lord Jesus, this has been another one of those chapters where you go, oh, why is this in Scripture? Well, it's there because uh, we it showcases, again, the purity and the persistence and the power of Joseph who relies upon the living God. Lord, we want to be such men and women who do that. Come, Lord. So we say over ourselves, the venue can change, the circumstances can change, but the Lord doesn't change. And we cling to you because we know you hold us in your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family, I love you. See you soon.